Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. I want to share from 1 Peter chapter uh, uh, 3, verse 15. This is what it says, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. There is one Savior. There is one Lord. It is Jesus Christ. And we see this in Scripture, in the Scriptures, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reasons, for the hope that is in you. So what we're doing this weekend is we're trying to help equip believers, okay, people who are followers of Jesus or people even considering following Jesus. We're trying to help equip you to be able to understand your faith so that you can better articulate your faith, so you can better share your faith. But here's what we're not trying to do, create a bunch of arguments, uh, to have dissension among our neighbors. Because it tells us, whatever you do, do it with gentleness and respect. And that's what we want to do. We want to love our neighbors in grace and in truth. So let's just commit today, let's get to this evening, let's commit um, all of this uh, time together and the Wilders to the Lord in prayer right now. Father God, we commit this space and time and the words and the story, the story, the story that you have crafted in the Wilders. Lord, thank you for Michael and Lynn and how they have, how they have lived out their faith how they have seen you work and experienced your Holy Spirit in their life in incredible ways. And Father, how they can still speak truth in love and how they can do it with gentleness and respect because they've been there. They've walked there. And Father, today I pray that we would all get a better understanding of different faiths, but also a deeper understanding of our own faith. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you give Michael and Lynn a great Northwest Arkansas welcome to Grace Point? Well, thank you. Thank you. We appreciate that, but we clap for him because we haven't done anything. We're bond servants. He has done everything for us. We're here to serve him, but we do appreciate that. And while it is great to be here, Pastor Mike and his wife and, and the people we've met, it's just, like, it's just like we're in Arkansas. Oh, we are in Arkansas. So uh, it's, it's wonderful. Hey, um, you know, you hear the stories about folks in Islam having dreams of Jesus, right, and coming to faith in Christ just kind of out of the middle of nowhere. Well, we, we're seeing that in Mormonism. Do you think that the Lord maybe is rocking through some cultures and some false faiths to bring folks to truth? I don't know. Maybe for such a time as this in the last days. But I can tell you that God is on the move with Mormons. And so I pray that you will open your eyes and be willing to have conversations with them and tell them about your Jesus. Mike and I grew up Christian. 
Baptist and Presbyterian. I couldn't have told you how you got saved. We never read the Bible in our house. He never read the Bible in his house. And so Mormon missionaries knocked on our door at age 24. We'd married three years. We're looking for a church, right? And they tell us all about their wonderful church. And we join their church. That's where they get most of their converts right out of nominal Christianity. So most of those people that are going to that temple who are converts once were Christians. It really does matter that you know your faith. Here's the other thing I would tell you. For 30 years I was in Mormonism. I had Christian family. I do not recall one time that family who were Christian tried to step into a conversation with me about what I believed in Mormonism, who God was, who Jesus was, how you gained eternal life. And honestly, when I had this radical salvation experience, I was ticked. Think about it. There are people in your family that don't know the Lord. And you say to yourself, well, I'm not having that conversation because that's going to put a big wedge in our relationship. And I remember thinking, you were so afraid of that wedge in our relationship that you would let me march right off a cliff. What if I died tomorrow? Well, the whole concept of being in the LDS church, you know, we lived it. I mean, we loved the LDS people. We just have found the good news, and we want to share that. We thought we had it. I mean, I was, I was really willing to lay down my life for Joseph Smith for the LDS church. And actually, I was a very, very happy Mormon. I loved living in Utah. It was great, skiing, hiking, and all that stuff. And then this Jesus gets in the way, and everything <laughs> turns upside down. Yeah. But that's okay. You know, he prepared us for this. You know, but, but you know, as, as Pastor mentioned earlier, that, you know, sometimes talking about religion, you know, gets people hyper. So he asked me earlier today, he says, Michael, to bring down the tensions, he wanted me to talk about politics tonight. So uh, <laughs> moving on here. So just really quickly, two points on this slide. I used to be a tenured professor at Brigham Young. You can't work there unless you're a Temple Recommend holding Mormon. And if you leave the Mormon church, you're gone. You're gone. That's true for students at Brigham Young University and for professors. I've seen people kicked out in very short period of time. Can't enroll in classes, can't graduate from the university. If you disaffiliate from Mormonism, uh, we, Mike was a high priest in Mormonism. We worked for 10 years in a temple, just like the one across the parking lot from you. And so we're going to talk about the temple tonight. Please come back if you have questions about the temple. You'll have an opportunity to ask. This is our ministry now. Please find us on our website. We have all kinds of resources in the back. We have a weekly podcast if you want to learn about Mormonism. Here we are on the road. Yeah, yeah. you know, we're traveling all <laughs> over the United States. Uh, 
They wouldn't let us into California, but we've come back, you know, to, to Arkansas. But anyway, pa- Pastor Mike is so great, you know, he's allowing us to stay in his driveway uh, for the next four months until that new job comes through I'm working on. Uh, the IRS said they're going to hire me uh, <laughs> yeah. for audits. So, but anyway, we're, we're, we're going to enjoy being here. But again, Lennon mentioned this earlier, we do love the Mormon people. We're not here to pick on Mormons, okay? This is the United States of America. You have a right to believe whatever you want to believe. And Mormonism has a right to believe whatever they want to believe. But in the last 20 years or so, they're stating that they are Christians too. And there's a difference in doctrine and Mormonism than Christianity. And as it states in Jude, we must contend for the faith. So when somebody says, I'm a Christian, I say, praise God. What does that mean to you? And in Mormonism, all the terminology in Mormonism in relationship to Christianity means something different. To be saved, Jesus, the Bible, the scriptures, everything. It has a different meaning in Mormonism than it does in Christianity. Just be aware of that when you talk with your Mormon neighbors. So LDS will say, I believe in Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for me. So your brain goes, oh, they're Christians too, right? Ask questions. What does that mean to you? So he atoned for your sins on the cross? No, they believe he atoned for your sins in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that was a full atonement for all sins, right? No, because their Jesus has some unforgivable sins you can't be forgiven for in this life or in the next life. So on the surface, it can look very much the same, but just have a conversation. Don't be afraid to ask. You don't have to know a lot about Mormonism. You can just ask them about your faith, and you'll begin to see that there are some differences. Um, Certainly God wanted you to have a conversation. He put them right across the parking lot, Praise God. I see that as a good thing, as a wonderful opportunity. And we as Christians need to show the love and the graciousness and the kindness of God. All three of our sons served Mormon missions. And do you know that they had it really hard? Christians were very hard on them. They slammed the door in their face. They told them they were in a cult. They told them they were going to hell. And they didn't want to hear the gospel. And even if you're kind enough sometimes to let the missionaries in, you'll say... A woman told me this morning that they had had the missionaries a couple of times, and she just said, I'm not interested in your faith. Well, what about you talking to them about your faith? How many times as a Christian do you open your mouth and say, man, I've been praying about this for six months, and God showed up in the most amazing way. It blew me away. We don't tend to put God into our conversation. Mormons will be surprised to find that the Spirit of God operates outside of the Mormon church. They believe that is the one true church with which God is pleased, and God talks to their prophet, and he's the prophet for the whole world. That's what they believe. And so if you had a miraculous healing because someone prayed for you, that would be be a surprise to them and wonderful story to tell, right? I wish someone had told me some of those stories, right, Mike? Yes. I'm going to roll through the first part. So 
When the Mormon missionaries came, they taught us that salvation was not a free gift, but that we had to do stuff in order to earn it. Mormonism is a workspace faith. If you ask a Mormon if it is, they'll say it's not. They don't understand that it is. But in order to earn the right to live with Heavenly Father in the next life, you have to go to one of those temples. And in order to go to one of those temples, you have to pay your tithing for at least a year. You have to hold callings in the Mormon church. You have to... um, live a health code. There's a whole list of things you have to tick off and a whole list of things you have to profess that you believe in order to be LDS. Here is scripture. All we use is their scripture. This is scripture. They believe they're saved after all they can do. It is workspace faith. They are saved by obedience to the laws and the ordinances of the Mormon church. To know it's not enough, one must do. Spencer W. Kimball is one of their prophets. But here's the thing. Most Christians believe that they have to do works in order to be have eternal life as well. Did you know that? 62% of Christians in the United States believe they're not saved by grace alone. Now, think about it. It's not that Christians don't do good works, but here's how I see it. When I was in Mormonism, I was ticking off lists all day long every day, right? I had to do this and this and this and this, and it was up to me, and I'd get really hyper if I got behind in my list. Now I'm a Christian. The Holy Spirit lives in me. The Bible says I rest in Christ. And it's not that I don't do good works. Actually, I don't. The Holy Spirit does good works through me, and he brings them. I don't have to set a list of good works that I'm going to do. The Holy Spirit literally brings them. Let me give you an example. This is one of my most powerful stories. God just rocked my world with this one. Mike and I were in a Bible study as new Christians called Experiencing God. And one night, you're supposed to pray, God, you're always at your work. Please open my eyes to somebody that you're drawing to Jesus within my sphere of influence. We're new Christians. We don't know it's a big God. (laughs) We don't know he can actually do that. I'm a professor. The next day I go to work at a very secular university, mostly atheist colleagues, and and I walk down this hall of offices and this lady says, you, you, I dreamed about you last night. Come here. I go in her office. She tells me this dream. She asks me what I think. I go, I don't know. You know, I go home to Mike. I go, Oh, you don't think that had anything to do with that prayer we prayed last night, do you? I'd worked with this lady four years, but I didn't, I didn't know her personally. Three days later, she comes stomping down to my office, slams the door, sits knee to knee with me, and says, I don't think you understand. I've been praying about a personal relationship with Jesus, and I think he's sending me to you. I didn't know God could do this stuff. The God I knew in Mormonism didn't like show up crazy like that. And here's the weird thing. So I'm thinking, Lord, I'm a new Christian. I don't know how to bring anybody to Jesus. I'll just ask her questions. Like, do you ever go to Sunday school as a kid? Do you ever read the Bible? Do you know anything about Jesus? 
She says to me, well, 10 years ago when I was in law school in Europe, I joined the Mormon church. I'd been working with an inactive Mormon for four years. I had no idea, but God knew. And when I prayed that prayer, he connected us. And for the next 18 months, Mike and I helped that woman and her husband get connected to a Bible study. They eventually got baptized and are strong Christians today. Um, but God, right? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Lynn actually gets calls about every day from somebody who needs help coming out of Mormonism. So God is working out there, and people are beginning to see the differences. And what you need to do as a body of Christians is just to understand the Bible, understand it so well. Because when you talk with an atheist or you talk with uh, somebody who, uh, you know, is, is off track in a pseudo-religious type of a uh, religion, um, you can just go back to the scriptures that's what we'd like to do with our Mormon friends. They said, okay, you mentioned this doctrine point. Here's a verse in the Bible that I don't quite understand. I mean, I do understand it, but you say it that way. So they says, read it to me, and you explain this, how this reconciles with your religion. And when they try to do that, it's very, very, very hard, Okay. You let the Bible defend itself. You don't need to argue with them. You know, you talk about scriptural debate, but you just say, explain it to me. I mean, this is what the Bible says. You guys use the Bible, and your verses over here contradict this. Why is that so? And you, and you just go from there. So we get to this next section here about the need for temples, and we'll get much more into this tonight, okay, uh, about temples. Again, uh, on my right side is the temple. On my screen here, it's on the left side, okay? <laughs> and the Jewish temple, we can go back to the Old Testament, to the writings from Moses, and it explains everything that happened in the Jewish temple. It's sacred, but it's not secret. You know, we've been on Temple Mount, and they would have a line here. If the Jews crossed this line... During the time of uh, uh, Herod. Herod's temple was there, King mm -hmm. Solomon's temple, whatever. You pass this line as a Gentile, you would be killed, okay? But you as a Gentile could know everything that goes on in that temple. That's okay. It was just sacred, okay? In Mormonism, when you look at the Salt Lake Temple here, and in any Mormon temple, including the one that's going up next door, Everything's sacred, but secret. We never knew what really went on in the temple until we went to the temple. And then when we had questions, they said you could only ask those questions in the temple. Once you leave the temple, you can't talk about them anymore. <laughs> and that's not what Jesus taught, right? He said, you know, why do you ask me what I believe? Ask the people who heard me speak. I say nothing in secret. He told his apostles, what I tell you at night, 
Preach from the rooftops. What I tell you to do this, speak it out loud. Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Speak it. But in Mormonism, you'll talk about, well, what do you do in the temple? We do this and this. What's the detail? Well, we can't go there. It's sacred. Well, it's, some of it's very, very weird, especially the stuff that we went through, which they've taken out because some. God changed his mind on how to do things. But here's some of the things that's done in the temple. Again, for us to be saved, okay, we had to do baptisms for the dead. We had to go to the temple for ourselves and then do it for other people. And that's what they're going to be doing over there. They will go to the temple the first time and do all these things that's listed there for themselves. Then they will go back in the future and do it for their uncle or for their aunt, somebody who's died, their great, 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 great aunt, their grandfather, whatever. Because they believe you can be saved in the next life. So after, after this life, if you're Mormon, you go to paradise with Jesus. If you're not Mormon, you go to spirit prison. Kind of like Catholic purgatory. And in order to get out of spirit prison, you have to accept Mormonism in order to be freed from spirit prison. Okay, but even if you accept it by faith, you can't you can't have eternal life unless these four hours of ordinances are physically done for you on the earth, and that's what goes on in that temple. Yeah, that that goes back to that third article of faith that we were showing earlier. We believe that through the atonement of Jesus Christ, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. And that's what we're talking about. So you can only be truly saved, or in other words, truly be able to go to the presence of Heavenly Father by going through the temple. If you don't go through the temple, you'll be at one of the lower kingdoms. There's like three kingdoms. One of the other major things the temple is for is to seal husband and wife together for this life and for the next life. They believe in marriage in the next life. Of course, the New Testament says there is no marriage, right, after the resurrection. Um, If you do that, you go to the temple and you're sealed to a worthy spouse, you can earn your way to the highest Mormon heaven. There are three different heavens. In fact, you can earn your way to the highest of the highest Mormon heaven, and then you can eventually become a god, and um, they call that eternal progression, That is Mormon doctrine. We were sealed in a temple. Now, we moved to Utah in 1999 because I got the job at BYU. Our kids served missions. One went to Russia for the Mormon church. One went to Denmark for the Mormon church. This was our condition. This is the condition of our sweet Mormon neighbors today. They have a zeal for God. In fact, they put Christians to shame sometimes in the way that they are willing to share their faith and how strong they are in the fact that they believe it. These are not people out to deceive you. These are people that truly believe this, but, but their beliefs do not take them right to eternal life. They don't take them to salvation. They're, they're running off a cliff like those those thousands of pigs, right, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness through their works. 
They do not submit to God's righteousness. That's what I did for 30 years. Now, here's the thing. Our third son went on his Mormon mission. Maybe you've seen the viral testimony, ex-Mormon incredible testimony. That is our son. He served his Mormon mission in Florida. He got challenged to read the Bible because he was bumping up against evangelicals. He read the New Testament 12 times. And three weeks before the end of his Mormon mission, he went face down, gave his life to the Jesus of the Bible. That kid is on fire. Here's what the crazy Lord did for him. He gets up from his knees, the phone rings, and it's his mission president who challenges him to stand in front of all his missionary peers and bear testimony before he goes home of what he's learned on his two years of a Mormon mission. Yeah, that worked out real well. Now, here's the problem. If he professes he's saved by grace alone, he's in trouble with the Mormon church. You have to have five points of a Mormon testimony. Jesus is the last one. The five points are things like you believe the Book of Mormon is the word of God. We have a living prophet today. Joseph Smith was a prophet. Things like that, right? Jesus is just one of those. He stood up and professed. He knew he was saved alone by the grace of Jesus. And he was called an antichrist. And we were told our, spirit, our son had the spirit of the devil in him, and he was sent home from his Mormon mission, and this started our journey, praise God. Now, here's the problem in Mormonism. I didn't trust the Bible. Remember I told you? So, as a Mormon, we never called ourselves Christians in the early years, We were Mormons and we were higher. You were Christians and you were lower. Let me explain why. You only have the Bible and Mormons see it as corrupt. But Mormons have the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price, and the Doctrine and Covenants that came directly from Jesus. So those are perfect scriptures. So see why I didn't ever go to the Bible? Because I didn't know when it was mistranslated and when it wasn't. Mormon scripture actually says that. Um, here's, they sometimes carry all their scriptures together. They call it a quad. This is a statement from Joseph Smith who started Mormonism. I believe the Bible when it came from the pen of the original writers, but ignorant translators, careless transcribers, or designing and corrupt priests have committed many errors. Do you know who else says that? The atheists. A lot of the the arguments you're going to get from Mormons, you will also hear from atheists. So Mormons will say, well, men got together at the Council of Nicaea in 325, and they chose what went in the Bible and what went out, and they made up that crazy idea of the Trinity. Mormons do not believe in the Trinity. They have three gods. There are three separate gods. Their God, the Father, has a body of flesh and bone, and this is the Book of Mormon. It says that many plain and precious things have been taken out of the Bible. Who did that? The Christians do that. Therefore, uh, Satan has great power over them. That was what I believed. I'm reading the Bible, and 3,800 times it says it's the Word of God. Do you think God's trying to tell us something? 
there's profuse evidence for the Bible. It just goes on and on and on. I'm a researcher. I got on the Internet. I had no idea. No Christian had ever told me there were 30,000 archaeological digs that prove the Old Testament alone. Do you know there are none for the Book of Mormon? The, the scientific evidence for the Bible is just out the wazoo. And yet, do we know it? And can we articulate it to other people? You know, it's okay to be a weird Christian. When I went from an LDS school, then I go to this state university in Florida, and I'm among atheists, you know. Before I'm among Mormons, now I'm among atheists. They thought I was the craziest woman that ever lived. First, I joined Mormonism. They used to call me Utah. Hey, Utah! First, I joined Mormonism, and then I just drank the other Kool-Aid, right? And so I got so that I would just be funny back to them. I was okay. And one day I got invited. I wrote a book a few years ago that's been really popular for Zondervan called Unveiling Grace. And on campus, they actually asked me to talk about the book one time. Twelve of my atheist colleagues went and I gave away free copies of the book. And several of them read it. And then they thought I was even weirder. But guess who used to come to my office when they had questions about God? I hope that in this postmodern anti-Christian world, you can learn to just be okay that you're Christian, that you believe these things. And you can just say these things and just... Don't care. Let it roll off your back. You're there to support Jesus. Okay, baby. I'm going to go to uh, my salvation experience, and then Mike's going to go to his. Well, I read the Bible for 10 months, just feverishly. I mean, once I opened it, my son challenged me. I'm like, wait, wait, this is Mormonism. Wait, 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 wait. Jesus was God from the beginning? No, he was a man. He earned his godhood. That's not the same, right? It says in Acts 17.24, God doesn't live in temples made by human hands. Do you know that the New Testament says that? that they believe that they're closer to God in the celestial room of a Mormon temple than anywhere else on earth. All these things are very clear in the Bible if you just have conversations with them. Well, after 10 months of feverishly reading the word, I knew that the Bible was true. I knew that I had a different Jesus and that this Jesus was powerful. He could blow his nostrils and his enemies were dead. He didn't have to have a Mormon as a president in order to set up the world politically that Jesus could return to rule and reign. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you are. And I went face down and I gave my life to Jesus. Now imagine, I've got Mormons yelling at the Christians and my family yelling at the, oh, my perfect family was torn apart. And for about five years, it was really tough. Um, But we got there, didn't we, babe? 
And it yeah. is so worth the journey to rest in Jesus and allow him to do the work. Yes. It's, it's hard to come out of Mormonism. It really, really is. And you talk about anybody who gets into a very legalistic system. Coming out is not easy. And usually what we see in many cases, it's the wife will come out or the husband comes out and we see this tremendous battle. God was so good to us. I don't know why, but we came out together. We joined Mormonism together and we came out together. And there's a purpose behind everything why we were in Mormonism. And I think the main reason we were in Mormonism for many years for us to understand Mormonism, really believe in it. And then God said, now I'm going to open up your eyes so you can really see. And that's, that's what he's done. Um, the, the one thing I want to point out here, because there's so many things that we need to cover, but real quickly here, is that one of the key things is that you notice that on this church building you see crosses. But on the Mormon buildings, the temples and everything, you will not see a cross. Okay? In Mormonism, the cross is not important. We just had a song about how important the blood and the cross was. 30 years in Mormonism, I never heard a sermon about the cross or about the blood of Jesus. Okay? And so, um, reading on here, we all know what the Bible says in Corinthians. For the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who believe, it represents the power of God. And when I came out of Mormonism, I took off my garments and I put on a cross and I've worn that cross since then. And it's the same thing with Lynn about her cross. If you ever read her book, Unveiling Grace, there's a great story in there about how she loses her cross on BYU campus. Uh, and it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, we weren't allowed to have them yeah. on the campus uh, at BYU. But, but moving real quickly, we have four minutes left here. Okay, what can we do in four minutes? God, we're going to stretch time out. It's four hours left, okay? Uh, when our son became born again, he came home from his Mormon mission. My state president, as Lynn mentioned, told me on the phone that we have a problem with your son. Your son has the spirit of the devil. Our son was the shiny light coming out of Alpine, Utah. He was everything every missionary should be. He even worked in the temple before he went on his Mormon mission, which we don't have any record of anybody else doing that as a Mormon missionary, 18 years old. But he said, my son had the spirit of the devil. What's frightening is that I didn't challenge the state president. I was so bound into the rules, I just said, well, I, I don't understand, president. We'll work this out, okay? But when Micah came home, his home, then he left, he just said, dad, mom, read the Bible as a child. Just kind of take off your Mormon glasses and just read it for what it really is. And we said yes. And, you know, Lynn started her journey. I started my journey uh, in the Bible also. And what's so interesting is that as a high priest, as a leader in the LDS church, for so many years, I've read the Bible many, 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 many times. And I saw no contradiction between Mormon doctrine and Christian doctrine. I really didn't. 
Isn't that crazy? And I look back at it, and it's like when Paul was speaking to the Jews and how they could not see who Jesus was. And he said, they have a veil over their eyes. They have a veil over their mind. They have a veil over their heart. They couldn't see who Jesus is. And that's the same thing your Mormon neighbors have. They have a veil over them. They do not see the same things you're reading until you can really try to point it out to them or until God opens up their eyes. And when I was praying to God, I said, okay, God, teach me what's in the Bible. I know what's in the Bible, but teach me anyway. And God says, you really want to know? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, just open up my eyes. And he did. He took this book and he just beat me up with it. Okay? He took the word that I thought I knew and he said, I'm going to teach you things you never thought you would ever know. And he took many, many stories in there. And one of the main stories is, is the, in chapter 18 of Luke is the Pharisee, the, public, the Pharisee and the publican, where he talks about in chapter 18, two men went up to the temple to pray. Well, I don't have time to get into that. But go back and read that. And just remember the breakdown of that. I, as a priesthood holder in the LDS church, I was the Pharisee. I was a righteous one. I was a holy, religious, righteous man is what I really felt who I was. And when I read that and broke it apart, God just tore into me and said, as Nathan said to David, you are that man. He looked at me through the scriptures and said, Brother Wilder, you are the Pharisee. And once I got into that, I realized, whoa, the scriptures became alive to me. So go back and read that story so you can get more information about it. So we have to end now. We do have books out here. Remember, we do this for money. <laughs> when my Mormon friends tell me, you do this for money, I said, yeah, right. <laughs> um, no, we do it because we love Jesus. But we have a literature out there. We have Lynn's book. It's a great read if you like to read. We have Micah's book out there. Um, and, you know, you can go on Amazon and get it for $15. You can buy it from us for $10. Lynn can sign it, and she'll sell it to you for $35. Um, but, uh, but anyway, and if I sign it, we have to give it to you because it's ruined. Um, but, uh, but anyway, thank you so much. And we say this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. You know, I want you to hear something very clear in, in both of their stories how the scriptures spoke to them. Um, Lynn said she was very zealous for God, just as it says in Romans 10. Uh, Michael said that he was like the, like the Pharisee. It's amazing whenever the scripture speaks to us. And, and, you know, I realize that as you hear God's story through them, the scripture may be speaking to you today.
The Spirit of God may be speaking to you today, and I would be so wrong. Whether you are from the the Mormon faith or you are like uh, a person who's just trying to connect with God or you're like, I'm just checking this God thing out. Listen, I want to say Jesus comes for you, came for you, and it is his grace that we've been talking about, of him coming and giving himself completely for you. So here's what I want to challenge you with. Maybe in this room, there's a handful of you who have yet to give yourself to following Jesus. And maybe today's that day. Would you listen to that still small voice? Would you? Let's just do this. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. Close our eyes. Draw that little circle around ourselves. Ask God. Is everybody in this circle right with you? In a relationship with you, Jesus? And if you can't say that from the depths of your heart, then I would challenge you. I would encourage you. Don't try the religious track. Don't try to work yourself there. Don't try to be good enough to get there. It is a tireless, endless disappointment that you'll be on. But trust in Jesus. Maybe you'll pray something like this as you're in your private circle right now. Say something like this to Jesus. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I have fallen short of what you want me to be. And I can't climb out of this. I need you to rescue me, save me, make me whole. Father, give me new life. Father, I pray in this room that nobody would miss that opportunity right here, right now. Father, I pray that your word and your spirit is at work right here, right now. And I pray that, Lord, you will draw people to yourself. Father, in this space, I pray that we would hear your voice and say yes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to challenge you today and in this moment to to think about if you've never given your life to Jesus, I, I invite you, as I walk off this stage and I walk out that door to follow me, I'm going to be going to the Welcome Center. I'm going to be there. My wife will be there. If you have questions about what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus, Lori and I want to walk with you through that. This does not need to be ambiguous. So let's right now consider where you are in your relationship with Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Sent.